I believe we will see very soon where travel will become not just something you do once or twice a year, but it will become a lifestyle. People would work from home or from office for three months and then they would travel and they will, everyone will become a nomad because we have mobile phones, internet, 4G, 5G, we can do things sitting on our computer. So the question is, why should we sit in an office? Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. Another extra special guest today. My guests are all so special and, and I don't really want to categorize them, but he definitely is. And the funny thing is that even though I have known him for so long and we have talked so many times, I actually needed to ask him how to introduce him because he does so many different things. And this is what he told me. He said, I am an engineer and entrepreneur born and raised in India. He created businesses and lived in nine different countries. His range of interests and experience is like a polymath. And I want to talk about that word afterwards. Remember, AJ. And I do highly technical things and very creative or spiritual endeavors. I am a risk taker. That's another thing that I want to talk about. And I see myself as a wanderer, never concerned about arriving. A traveler beamed to earth for a bit of time for the purpose of travel and discovery. That is very beautiful. Welcome to Most Memorable Journey, H.A. Goyal. Thank you, Elizabeth. And so happy to be here with you talking about travel and wandering around the world. And, you know, I love that thing about arriving is not important, right? No, it's the process, journey, travel, just taking it in, being in constant motion. That's what it's about. It's not about arriving somewhere, touching it, taking a selfie. Um, I think it was Paul Theroux who said, he said, tourists never remember where they've been. Travelers never know where they are going. There's a very big difference between being a tourist and a traveler. I love tourists. Tourism is great. We need to relax and unwind. But travelers and wanderers, it's a completely different mindset. And uh, it's about every moment that we soak things in, that our curiosities are satiated. Uh, the small details we notice, that's what travel is about, to my mind. Yeah, and you were, you know, the, the other thing about arriving or, or about the journey is also that sometimes it's necessary to take a detour, especially during times of COVID. I remember you were staying in a few places where I don't think you had been planning to stay and you still had a good time. You made the best of it. Absolutely. And uh, another thing about travelers and, you know, you're, you're a migrant like me. We both live and have lived, not just traveled, but actually lived away from home. And the beautiful thing about travel is that you find out about your home when you're traveling. And that makes you fall in love with your home as well. So the first part of travel, I really wished I could go back to India and spend time with my parents in my hometown. But I couldn't do that because India was closed. So the second best thing was I came back to my hometown of Limassol. And I don't think I enjoyed being in Cyprus as much as I did during the pandemic. But then as soon as the travel restrictions were lifted, I think I was on one of the first flights out. And then I traveled 
so much during the next one and a half years of pandemic. And there were no tourists, no crowds. And I loved it. It was the most beautiful travel experience and staying at home experience for me. So pandemic in more than one ways has been a gift. Amazing. And, you know, but it's all about the mind. It's all about what you, it's never what happens to you. It's always about how you react. We both know that very well. And I think people who listen to us know that too. And if they don't, it's important to find out because uh, shit happens to all of us. It's, it's just the way we react to it. I want to talk about where you come from. You were born in India. How on earth did you end up in Russia? I mean, first, tell me a little bit about how you grew up in India um, and then what happened. So I grew up in a family of academics. My father is one of the greatest academics uh, of Hindi literature in India. In fact, this year he was awarded one of the highest civilian honors, Padma Shri, by president of India. Uh, but he and my mother, they're both professors, they're both PhD scholars. So we grew up on a university campus and we didn't go anywhere much. We didn't travel. We didn't have a car. We, I, I think we might have taken for the first 18 years of my life, two or three trips. But I had this unsettled mind. I think I was always discovering, looking for something. So at age of 16, I left home and I took what is called sannyas. I tried to become a monk. So I left for the Himalayas and I traveled several months and I actually spent time in monasteries. And I also found out a lot about me. And one of the things I found out that I was a warrior, that I was not going to be a person who spends his life sitting and praying and chanting mantras. So... I returned, I finished my engineering. The next phase of my life was that I got a slot on Indian national TV. Uh, There was at that time only one TV channel, national TV channel, and I was hosting a quiz show. And then I started hosting some of the top cultural personalities of the country, doing interviews and asking them about their lives. But somewhere deep inside, I think I always knew that I was a wanderer, that I had the travel bug in me. So I looked for opportunities to travel. And I traveled a lot within India. I have traveled length and breadth of India to smallest of villages. And when I got a chance to leave somewhere at that time, you know, European countries and the US, they were not welcoming of Indian people. It was almost impossible to get a visa to kind of just go somewhere. But the country which kind of was easy to go to was Soviet Union. And I was always very anti-communist in my views. I always believed that every person is an individual and every individual should have free will. So I was reading about Perestroika and Glasnost and I thought communism was on its last legs. So I got, I sold everything that I had earned. I had earned quite a bit of money through my arts performances and I had uh, bought myself a motorbike. I sold everything and I bought a one-way ticket and I left for Moscow. From Moscow, I went to Germany and then uh, very soon I was starting many very successful businesses. And the first business I did was a contract from France to Russia, and it had nothing to do with India. And I needed a company. 
So I asked some friends, I said, how do you make a company? And they said, well, the place to make a company is to go to Cyprus. So I took a uh, flight from London. I think it was BA662 in 1989 to Cyprus. And when the flight arrived, for some reason, Larnaca Airport was closed. And we were circling over the island for about 40 minutes. And I looked below and I thought, this is a beautiful place. I'm going to make a home here. And uh, four weeks later, when I had earned my first money, I arrived in Cyprus and I bought my first apartment. That's too much in such a short time. I need to split this down a little bit because, um, first of all, one thing that I always forget being Swiss and what you were saying about getting a visa, I always had the opportunity to go anywhere with a Swiss passport. And I forget that there are people who just, you know, cannot, it was difficult at some, at, at those, in those times to go and work somewhere. I needed a work permit in the EU in those days when I was a tour guide, but I understand that you chose your destination according to where you were allowed to go, really. Yeah, of of 180-some countries at the time, uh, 15 countries of Soviet Union broke up in 1991. That's another story. I found myself in front of the tanks when the coup happened in 1991. But yes, it's true that most of the humanity, Africans, Asians, South Americans, people of Soviet Union, we were not allowed to travel The world was not open. There were too many borders, too many boundaries. And I still remember uh, it was very common to apply for a visa and not only be rejected, but humiliated. Yeah. Because you would have to show up with so many papers and travel was only for a very small, privileged few. People who were either connected with power, with politics, were children of royalty or leaders of countries, very ordinary people like us who came from very humble backgrounds. Uh, It was almost impossible to imagine that we could go somewhere. And I've had my share of uh, those visas being rejected and uh, or given three months visas that then you have to renew every time. And then sometimes you had to go back to India to renew those visas because you were a resident there. Oh, those were those were nightmares. Look, to, to a great extent, Schengen has made it a common space, European space, people can travel to. To a great extent, uh, people do not see Africans, Asians, Indians in the same way they used to see them 20 years ago. But believe me, it is still not easy. All this dream of a world without borders is just a dream. And in in many ways, it keeps getting more and more difficult. And for a poor child coming from an unprivileged background who might have a very creative mind, who might have great imagination and great ambitions and dreams, it's impossible to travel. It's almost impossible. So yes, I'm very privileged in that sense, but that has involved a lot of discrimination, bigotry, uh, uh, racism. Mm. One has to put up with a lot. So that's different, but but you put up with it and you move on. You don't carry it inside you. I I can imagine. I mean, how do you put up with it? It, It's even though you say you put up with it, it must be painful sometimes, you know, especially when because it's, 
of, of course, the world isn't fair. We all know that. And what you were saying before, somebody who is really, really gifted, talented, um, could probably move something. But just because of the color or the nationality, he or she cannot go. It's not possible. And this is so true. There is no world without border. It's still a world with lots and lots of borders and uh, many, many difficulties. But you have always been very bold. I mean, that's what I know about you. Did, did you ever feel like this has been a little bit too much? You know, it, you went a little bit too fast. <laughs> there are two things that I miss not having in life. And sometimes I wish I had those two characteristics. One is doubt, to think about something, to weigh for a very long time pros and cons of it. And the second is fear. I somehow, maybe I'm too stupid to, to worry and to have fear. And I believe that, that the secret to doing a lot of things in life, and I have done a few things in few countries, is not to think too much. What comes, let it come. And when something terrible comes, you get mistreated, uh, you know, Mahatma Gandhi got thrown out of a train in South Africa where he was told Indians and dogs are not allowed to enter the carriage. So what did he do? He made a mission out of it and he destroyed that apartheid empire. So when you have a misfortune like that, it should give us more determination to fight the injustice. We don't keep that hurt inside because then that becomes a wound that festers. So when something like that happens and something or someone hurts you in that journey, don't let it become a wound. I never let it become a wound. It's like having a small cut when you shave and you just apply something and you move on. But what you do is that you remember that. And you remember that because the same treatment or same injustice is being given to many other people. So what you say is, can I do something about it? Mm. That's always been my journey, is that when I see an injustice, I stand up. So as early as 91, I was only two years living in Moscow. And there's this coup d'etat in August of 91 against Mikhail Gorbachev. And a junta takes over and Gorbachev is isolated in Crimea in Foros. And about 3,000 people came out. 3,000 people in a city of 12 million. And I was one of them. And I stood in front of the tanks and I was in human chains around the White House because of my belief system. So when you have a belief system and you're ready to fight for something bigger than your immediate personal interest, all fear, all doubt just goes away. Fantastic. I want to come back to the wound. You were mentioning the wound that um, is not worth keeping. And that I, I know that because I work with people, I do hypnosis and, and life coaching because that wound, the only person that the wound hurts is you. So uh, it is in your interest to let the wound heal. And then, as you say, learn from it. And, and use it to help others who also have that wound and also help them heal. And I think this is one thing that you do very well. And the other thing that I wanted to tell you about the doubt, I know a few people who could give you some if you want, who can never make up their minds, who always have doubts and ask two, two or three times, but that's just a joke. I think it's fantastic to be able to not doubt and fear 
Fear is an absolute dream killer. And fear is the thing that stops so many people from living their full potential. And I mean, my question is always when when somebody talks about doing something and this fear comes, what is the worst that can happen? You know, it's just, I mean, what what, what do I want you to, I want to talk about the word failure. Do you like the word failure? The word failure, does it exist in your vocabulary? Oh, I love it. I, I, I have always uh, learned from failures and failures have always made me better. And I've had too many of them. And, you know, I was, re- I was watching this a Netflix series about Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. So he said, you know, every dunk that I did and every championship I won and every game that I won, I missed a hundred shots for every one I made. So there is no great athlete, no great sportsman, no great person who did not make a hundred mistakes before he or she did something that they are remembered for. So I don't let failures hold me back. Failures are not always because of our own own errors or uh, mistakes. They can be natural calamities. Failures can happen because of States don't behave correctly or corporations don't behave correctly. So, you know, failure is, it shouldn't hold anyone back. Failure should actually motivate us to try again and then try again and then achieve what we want to achieve. Yeah, there is, it should become the stepping stones of uh, to, to move on. There is also no overnight success. You know, people see talk about having an overnight success, but it's many, many years of preparation. You know, it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. Things you you are you're a very, very successful businessman, but it didn't happen from one day to the other. So um, I, I have a view on that. And I used to ponder about it about 20 years ago. And I, like you, I'm also on a one-way road to getting older. And it's wonderful. And I, uh, you know, it's, this is also, this is, this is an example that every journey should be one way. I've started buying one way tickets, by the way. Life is one way street, right? We are not (laughs) getting younger. So uh, in terms of success, I believe success is a mindset too. It's not a destination. A lot of people ruin their lives working for some kind of a material dream down the road. Oh, if I make this much, then I'm happy. Oh, if I achieve that, then I will be happy. It's if, if you consider how well and with what passion you are involved in your pursuit, in the process, then you're successful. So I believe success is in the process. It's not in the destination, it's like travel. It is always said that travel is not about money, it's about courage. But travel is a process. So if you're a traveler, you love the process. And you can't say, I I will love the process and therefore I will love the travel. It's in the nature of some people to enjoy every minute, to be in the moment. So I believe I unlocked this secret of happiness. It doesn't mean I don't have unhappy moments. It doesn't mean I don't have melancholy or sadness or anger. We have all of those emotions. But all in all, I feel very satisfied and happy because I feel that my values, my heart, 
and my mind are totally aligned. Yeah. And when those three are aligned, the process is beautiful and that is success. That is so beautiful and that is so true. And and again, success is a very, very individual thing. Not, not Success is not the same for, for each person. And I think it's, it's amazing to be able to say that. I can say that about myself too, having reached a point in life where everything is mostly good. And as you say, there are shitty bad days. There are there are bad moments, but generally life is good and this is nice. And now I want to change, completely change the subject, actually not completely change because you were saying about something about being in the moment. And I remember I met you because I sent you a message on LinkedIn because you were opening a hotel. You were turning a hotel in Cyprus into a yoga retreat, into a special kind of hotel um, in the name of Senning. And I thought, what a wonderful idea. And then I also, in the back of my mind, I had this little doubt saying, mm, I hope it's going to go well because of where it was. <laughs> because, and uh, yeah, Senning was a fantastic place. Talk about Senning. So uh, Senning is, uh, I, I created this word from Zen. And Zen is, uh, as we know, it's, it's a state of mindfulness. It's reaching that harmony, that balance. And I thought Zenning, it's like run, running. It should be a verb. You don't just arrive. You don't just reach. And it's just what we just talked about, the process. So Zenning, I thought, is a lifestyle, a way of living. And that is a lifestyle of living healthy, not abusing our bodies, not abusing our mind, doing yoga, doing meditation, and just being in life mindfully. So I, I came up with this concept and I thought, how do I want to spend the rest of my life? And I thought I want to spend rest of my life with travelers, people who are seeking, looking. Until now, I've gone to the travel to places now let all those travelers come to me and we'll sit under a tree, uh, have a glass of wine and we'll talk about the world. So I came up with a concept and, um, I'd, uh, and I just decided to do it. And I took over and leased a 20, 30 year old holiday village in the Northwest of Cyprus. And um, I invested all of my money into it. At that time, Cyprus had a very big financial crisis in 2013. The banks shut down, so there was no banking, no loans. Uh, but I did it with all my money, and I renovated 145 apartments, three swimming pools, created six yoga rooms, beautiful gardens, and we did it. And it opened to great success. And it started attracting a very unique kind of visitor to Cyprus. I still remember we opened the hotel in July and then I had to go away on a business trip. And I came back sometime in August or September. And it was only about eight o'clock in the evening. And there was complete silence in the hotel. And I thought, where is everyone? And do we really have guests? I thought there were a lot of guests in the hotel. And then I arrived in the restaurant and there were about 200 women sitting in the restaurant. And many of them had arrived as solo travelers. There was, there's no 
hotel or holiday package anywhere in the world which is suitable for solo traveling women. But I created a product for solo traveler. I created a product where LGBT community would be comfortable. I created a place where people don't want to be a part of a venue where everyone is just drinking and watching football and you know doing silly things. And here were so many sophisticated, highly educated, mature, well-traveled people who chose Zenning because of the concept. And the beautiful thing was that we had a table called community table. So we said, well, if you're traveling alone, maybe you want to eat alone, but then maybe you want to meet some other fellow travelers. So the table was set up for six people. And then a lot of tables got joined and there were about 56 people sitting on that table. So it became a community. So for me, I had already achieved success because I managed to create something, a very unique and a very authentic product, which started to attract a very unique traveler, which usually does not come to Cyprus. So uh, it was it was a great experience. It was a great project. And we did something that now post pandemic, if you read travel journals and if you listen to uh, the leaders of travel industry, they all say, well, that old model of all inclusive drinking, partying, it doesn't work. The buffet doesn't work. We need place where people can gain their mental balance, where they can feel peace, where they can eat healthy and they can truly relax. Uh, so if you take that checklist of what travel industry would like to achieve post pandemic, we already implemented that in 2013. in Zen. Yeah. And it was beautiful. It was really, really a very, very beautiful project. Now you came across maybe some of the wrong people, some bad people, and it didn't work out. And I know that um, you, you're a Cypriot. You, you, you love Cyprus and even though this was a bad, a bad experience, I know that it didn't change your view on Cyprus. Not only I'm a Cypriot and I love Cyprus, I, I would say like many migrants, many Indian migrants go to Silicon Valley and they achieve success. You know, uh, CEO of Microsoft is an Indian, CEO of Google is an Indian, CEO of Adobe, IBM, some of the greatest companies in the world are Indians. They have all acquired more love for America or more love for Britain, wherever they make home, than where they came from. Same as it with us, with me, uh, with my family. I feel we love Cyprus uh, more than we love India because where we are born is a geographical accident. We don't know who gets put where, but where we choose to live is a conscious choice. And I'm always happy that I chose Cyprus as my home and I fell in love with Cypriots and the nature of Cypriot people and the simplicity and the openness and the hospitality. And also because they were also hurt in 1974 and then again and again hurt seeing their country, half of their country occupied by, by, by uh, invading troops. So uh, Cyprus has been home. It still feels home. None of that changes. Uh, some things went wrong. Some wrong people had some wrong intentions. They hurt the area, they hurt Cyprus, they hurt themselves, and they hurt me. But, you know, the test for me was in 2013 when the economy collapsed. There was no money coming in. People were just climbing over each other to take the money out of Cyprus. 
I remember I went to the bank. It was in March of 2013. And I brought in about 3 million euros to invest in Cyprus at the time. And I think I was the only one bringing in money when many politicians were actually taking money out. Politicians and leaders of the country were taking their money out. So Cyprus is a beautiful place. I would do it all over again, by the way. If um, if I do it, I would do it again. And I, I probably would do it in Cyprus, probably in Portugal, where I'm trying to do another resort. But I would do, do it once again in Cyprus. It's a beautiful, beautiful island. It's God's gift to humanity. That is Why nice. Not? That is nice, despite everything that you are saying that. And yeah, there is something special about Cyprus. I, I agree with you. Sometimes I wonder what it is, but it definitely is. So... Portugal, you mentioned Portugal and you mentioned the resort. Is there something in the making? I, I'm, I'm looking, yes. Uh, because in 2013, when I created the resort, the tourism industry, the industry wasn't ready for it. People were going for cruise ships. They were investing more in money in all-inclusive, the, 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 you know, the mass tourism. Now, suddenly, everyone is listening to me, asking me questions and saying, how was that experience? And I said, I would like to do it again. So I'm having conversations right now about, in fact, creating a chain of Zenning resorts where people would come for long stay, remote working, because now people don't have to go to offices always. And I believe we will see very soon where travel will become not just something you do once or twice a year, but it will become a lifestyle. People would work from home or from office for three months and then they would travel and they will, everyone will become a nomad because we have mobile phones, internet, 4G, 5G. We can do things sitting on our computer. So the question is, why should we sit in an office? And there is no hotel resort for that kind of new lifestyle, which is now coming. So hundreds of millions of people around the world are going to live like that, travel like that, work like that. So I'm thinking of creating Zenning 2.0 now, uh, starting with lot, Portugal. A lot of potential for that. And I think a lot of people who would be taking that up. And I think this is one of the upsides of COVID. I mean, COVID was COVID. There was a lot of many bad things, but we have learned like I had friends in Switzerland before COVID, friends of mine who had families who were fighting for a, for an office day, for a home office day, you know, and, and it wasn't possible and this and that. And suddenly everybody was working from home. And I think that is thanks, you know, COVID gave us that. And it, what else did COVID give us? Um, the COVID gave us um, a lot of realizations um, and acceptance, acceptance that, Life is not always good when you have, uh, you know, very strange things can happen and people don't always react in the best of ways. We have seen governments act in very strange ways. We have seen people make profit out of other people's misery. We have seen suffering. We have seen all kinds of misery that people put on themselves. Uh, we have seen that in the COVID. Uh, but hopefully COVID has also shown people a lot of truths about themselves, which is what we travelers always do. You know, as we travel, we always have that time to look inwards, 
to meditate a little bit, to uh, do some introspection. So COVID has given us a chance to uh, all of us to look inside. And I think we have found that a lot of ugliness is still around in the world. A lot of leaders, a lot of people, a lot of business leaders uh, still act for very selfish interest, out of greed, out of pettiness. And uh, But then the good to come out of it is that we have understood that life needs to change. Systems need to change. Companies need to change. Like you gave the example of your friends in Switzerland. So we had a conversation with the CEO of a German company and 60,000 people work from anywhere forever. That's what the company decided, 60,000 people. And I thought these 60,000 people now will need a hotel, a resort, exactly. a place to live. But, uh, but, but COVID has driven science. It has driven research. We've been able to come up with vaccines within six months or nine months of the pandemic. As humanity, we should be very proud that we managed to control this pandemic within two years. Many of the governments acted very well, including the government of Cyprus. Look, I know they were criticized for extreme measures, but they saved lives, didn't they? Many countries, many governments, many people have shown that humans have the capability, if they put their mind to it, to do a lot of common good and move forward. So COVID has taught us, move forward. Don't go back to the old bad habits, old bad habits of cruise ships, old bad habits of all-inclusive tourism, old bad habits of no immunity, eat a lot, drink a lot, get overweight. So COVID has taught us we need to take care of ourselves. We need to fulfill our dreams now because there may be no tomorrow. Yeah. COVID has taught us that we need to be careful in social interactions. We need to keep distance. We need to respect other people's space. We can't cough on them. We can't breathe on them. So it's a lot of lessons if you take them. And to my mind, these are positive lessons as every tragedy brings some lessons for us. Yeah, um, this is true. What you're saying, especially also about this the government, nobody had done this before. I mean, the pandemic hit and, and, and it, it wasn't like... It, People were blaming governments. Everybody did the best they knew. As you said, I mean, here in Cyprus, maybe some some measures were a bit strict, but they did save life. And 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 uh, we are on the other side. Hopefully, maybe not, but I hope we are. And I don't think so much damage has been done. I think we did well. I think most governments did well. Now we're also the time has been passing very quickly. We're quickly, we're also coming towards the end, but I want to know, there's so much more that I want to talk to you about. And I feel like I'm going I'm going wild because there are so many things that you know, but you mentioned meditation because I, I, I want to, I want you to demystify the word meditation for my listeners, because you are a businessman, you're an entrepreneur, you're an engineer, but you know a lot about meditation. And, and I'd like you to tell people how important it is to meditate and what is it? How can they do it? In very simple terms, meditation is a complete state of relaxation where the body, the cells, mind feel no stress, no tension, no anxiety, no fear, no worries. It's a state of complete relaxation. 
is the kind of thing that happens when you're sleeping, except that in sleep, you're watching a dream. In meditation, you're in touch with the reality. You're not sleeping, you are awake, but just as in sleep, you're completely relaxed. So how to achieve that state of complete and utter relaxation while being awake is the process of meditation. Now, meditation, obviously, over thousands of years in uh, ancient civilizations like India, China, Japan, the orders of monks and monasteries created different forms of meditation. They were focus, they were chanting, they were mantras, that's music, that's sounds, to come in harmony with nature. But for the modern person who is listening to this podcast, life has changed, right? We have so many images by the time we are two or three years old that people didn't have if they lived a hundred year life 2000 years ago. We already know more at the age of six or seven than a person at the age of 30 would usually know. We've seen more movies, more videos, read more text, heard more music. So as a result, there's a lot of garbage in our minds. And knowledge, unfortunately, accumulates like garbage. Knowledge does not give us peace. It does not give us harmony. It does not give us serenity. Understanding does. So now new techniques have emerged, which are for modern people. And one of them is called mindfulness. Or in other words, being in the moment. That you always remain aware of what is going on. You don't indulge in it. You don't engage in the games of the mind because mind is always throwing curveballs at you. It's always throwing you challenges. Mind is always telling you, how come you're so happy? Are you not worried about tomorrow? The mind is telling you, why are you so satisfied? Why aren't you angry about what happened yesterday with you? So the mind is always trying to throw salt on your wounds and wake up some anxieties and worries about you. So mindfulness is about being in the mind, but not playing games with the mind. There are many ways to do it. The best way is to travel. <laughs> I totally agree. I couldn't, I mostly agree with you. And uh, yeah, that was a perfect way to explain it. And I think it, it's definitely worth spending time on becoming more mindful and understanding what mindfulness is. And also understanding that mindfulness is not some modern hippie word. Mindfulness is a, is a state of mind. It's important. I'm going to come to my last question. It's a bit of a challenging question, AJ. I see what you write on Facebook sometimes. And I see that you have an immense knowledge about things. And I also sometimes wonder, how dare he write these things? And I know that you're doing it on purpose. I know that you are doing it to, to stir up things a little bit. Have you ever thought of becoming a politician? <laughs> so I tried. I ran for election in India it didn't uh, as an independent candidate for the parliament. Oh, God, I lost with Guinness Book of World Records major majority. I, I got so little votes, but but I got a lot of love. So actually, I don't write to stir up any trouble. I write for myself. That's all. So whenever I have a thought, whenever I feel a rebellion in me, whenever I feel anger, when I, when I read a report about uh, a gang rape 
in India. When I read about a bunch of little school kids being shot in a school in Texas, and as a traveler, I, I identify with a lot of places, with a lot of people, and with a lot of things. So to someone, something happening in Kenya or something happening in Ukraine might be just a news headline. To me, that is very personal because I've been there. I know people there. I have friends there. So when I feel that, I need to take it out and I write. And I write much more than what I write on social media. I write fiction. I write theatrical stories. I write essays. I also write regularly my columns, which are published in Indian newspapers. So I write on a variety of issues. I, I read a lot still. I always try to carry one or two books with me. In fact, sometimes when I'm on a big travel, my suitcase, eight kilos, which is allowed by airlines, about six kilos can be just books or notebooks. So I read a lot and it keeps me uh, very happy and always very meditative and in harmony and at peace. Because once you write and you take it out, it's gone. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stay inside. Otherwise, you know, you we all feel the pain of those who get hurt and all this news that comes to us now not only on newspaper not only on tv but on our mobile phones we are connected to the pain of all humanity all the time how do you deal with that so the way with that is to express your uh your emotion your passion uh your thoughts your argument and just put it out there and send it along with the wind. And that's it. Once it's gone, it, it probably reaches somebody who gets some peace. Like we say, I'll pray for you. So it's like sending a prayer out. But sometimes you need to support someone emotionally and say, I stand by you. I know you're a victim. I know you're suffering. I may not be able to do much, but my thoughts are with you. And it counts. So... I keep up with a lot of things. You know, I want to know what's happening in quantum computing. I'm doing something now in satellite technology and AI. So I want to read about what's happening in artificial intelligence. I'm back to my roots of doing business in technology. That's all I do. And by the way, every day when we are looking at satellite images, every day, somehow or the other, I come back to Cyprus. And I find some satellite and I look at an image of Cyprus from a satellite and I say, wow. What a beautiful place. Always beautiful to look at from the space, by the way, from satellite imagery. So uh, one should, you know, one should explore new things. One should always, like places, one should always take the mind to different places through books, through reading. And then the thoughts that emerge, they should be shared. They should be, they should be at least given an exit so that they don't stay inside and don't become garbage. Oh, wow. Well, that is beautiful. And I think with those 45 minutes here, we have only just touched the surface of H.A. Goyal, but we're going to leave it here. Thank you so much for spending time with me and thank you for being on Most Memorable Journeys. What a pleasure. And thank you. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.